take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. I'm your host, Rachel Gilmore, the Director of Recruiting, Assessment, and Training at Path One Church Planting for Discipleship Ministries. And we have a special treat for you today. Uh, Adam Weber sat down to talk with me a couple of months ago. He is the pastor of one of the fastest growing or largest church plants in all of the UMC out in Sioux Falls. And I had the privilege to go and visit Uh, embrace the church that he planted last summer. I learned a lot when I was out there. I learned even more sitting down with Adam. So I hope you enjoy his story as much as I did. Why are you a church planter? Why am I a church planter? I, I still don't feel like a church planter and I, uh, it was not something I wanted to do, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I did never envision starting a church. It wasn't a dream of mine, which it's actually been a blessing through some hard seasons and challenges just to remember, God, this wasn't my, my plan. This wasn't my idea. And so um, in those times, it's been a really kind of a blessing to know this clearly wasn't from me. And, and so I, I still don't feel like a church planter. And really the only reason I am is because I, I truly believe God led me to do so. Um, I, the pastor that led me to Christ, um, is now my district superintendent. He's the one who had the idea of a church start and I basically didn't have the courage to tell him no. And so, um, so that's how it started. So it wasn't by choice. So uh, it's kind of, kind of crazy. I, I joked with somebody recently, they were starting a church in South Carolina and I said, it wouldn't take a burning bush for me to start another church. If I saw a burning bush, I'd be like, that's a burning bush. I'm going to go this way. Uh, the burning bush would have to catch my pant leg on fire for me to start another church. So yep. if I just saw one, I'd be like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I'm going to go over here now. Um, it yeah. would have to start me on fire. So that's so funny. That's awesome. Um, so you didn't necessarily ask for this kind of a journey in ministry, but if you had to describe embrace in 12 words or less, what would you say? Oh gosh, I don't know if I could do it in 12 words or less. I always say the most unlikely of people and um, a church that you can come right where you are. Mm-hmm. That'd probably be the two best ways to explain it. And, and truly something that came from God, not from any one person. Um, so that's definitely more than that. But that's what I would say. It's the, I always say the most unlikely of people from the pastor, a pastor who didn't want to start a church, didn't even want to be a pastor, um, to the to the person that hasn't set foot in a church ever or feels like they're too broken to come to church. Um, it's really the most unlikely of people. So what characteristics personally have either helped you or hindered you in planting? You're talking like personal characteristics or no? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, oh, gosh, um, I say personal characteristics that have helped me. My heart for the lost um, would be first and foremost. My why is very clear. Uh, when I heard about Jesus, it was the greatest news that I'd ever heard. And um, I knew at that point uh, when I came to Christ, I didn't see it as a pastor. I saw it kind of in workplace ministry. 
um, I wanted to tell as many people as I could about this news that had changed everything about me. It's like the woman at the well, um, um, she goes and she tells her whole village about the man who knew everything about her, you know, um, that's what I want to do. So I, I think that why, um, I don't have to fire myself up. I don't have to like, Oh, why is this needed? Um, cause it's the greatest news. So I think that, and then I have an entrepreneur heart. Um, again, I thought I was going to use it in business. And, um, so I just have an entrepreneur heart. Um, I think also just a high extrovert, particularly in church planting. Um, my, my wife's, um, an introvert, um, and it, it's a draining thing. I think anybody can start a church. So I'm going to say that very strongly. And, um, there's so many characteristics of, of being an introvert that I would see being a great for being a pastor. But I think being a high extrovert, every stranger is a friend that I haven't met yet, you know? And so um, I think those characteristics have helped me. I think on the backside, how, what's hurt me is those uh, kind of the extrovert entre- entrepreneur. Um, sometimes I'm not great with self boundaries of knowing when I got to take a breath and when I got to care for my own soul. And so those are the things that have gotten me in trouble in the past. Um, also in the past too, uh, I'm such a self-motivated person that I assume everybody else is that same way too. And um, so I didn't need a lot of care from other pastors. And so sometimes I'm not the best at caring for my own team because I'm kind of like, well, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, <laughs> I didn't have another, a, another full-time coworker until four years in. Like, so there was nobody giving me a pep talk or giving me a staff talk to go do whatever. I just had to do it, you know? And so I think some of that was maybe the, the, the downside of, of me of not realizing that, Hey, you have to care for your team and um, care for their souls um, as well. So, Yeah. I resonate with what you said about not necessarily knowing how to nurture the soul of your staff because it wasn't something you needed. I know for me at the gathering, it meant that initially until I learned that I would burn out my staff quickly because I wouldn't even realize I was putting too much on them or wasn't resourcing them properly. Did you find that was true at Embrace or did you learn that early enough that you were able to walk alongside? Um, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's uh, I would say the having a team around you that has a heart for caring for staff particularly is really, really crucial. So that's one of my um, weaknesses that I need. I need a, a people. We have a strategy team is what we call it. So it's our executive pastor and then two directors kind of make up the main kind of like vision leadership of the church. Um, I would say all three of them are high care for staff people. And so they, they reel me in because um, otherwise, yeah, particularly the people who have worked closest with me, there's been a lot of transition because of that over the years. I've been so fortunate. Um, my last two assistants um, have been people that have stayed um, and actually my, my previous assistant is still on staff and works closely with me just in a part-time position. And so I'm like, yes, I'm growing. And so like, that's really been something God has been um, working on in me. And, and even in the last year, I feel like I've grown so much. I'm so highly relational except eight to five. My dad was the same way. My dad is the most highly relational person, but he was an electrician. And when he was wiring your house, 
he knew he was charging you to have a conversation and he felt bad. And he's just like, I just want to wire your house. And so he was always very highly relational except at work. And I'm the same way. I'm kind of like, when I get here, let's run, let's go for it. And not realizing, no, just how you take care of other people, Adam, you need to ask, Hey, how was your weekend? Hey, how was you want to visit your mom in the hospital? How, how's she doing? And that kind of thing, it sounds crazy. I have to work at that. Mm, that's true, though. I love that. I love that honesty. Um, so speaking of, you know, honesty, about time, yeah. we're learning and growing. Um, can you share a story of a time you experienced failure in your plan? <laughs> Uh, where do I begin? Our first three years in many ways were a failure. We struggled to grow above a hundred in worship and, um, we were almost closed. And so, um, we, we were a Sunday evening church in South Dakota. Sunday mornings is still when church happens. And so it was an off time and I knew we'd grow if we went to Sunday mornings. I didn't realize how fast we'd grow. Because we, when we did make this shift three years into Sunday mornings, we over doubled in size in one morning. And, and then from there, literally had probably a decade of rapid, rapid growth. Um, I'd also say um, even with campuses, we've launched too soon, maybe, and didn't have solid leadership in place um, when we launched. Um, so you could say those were failures, although like I, I wouldn't necessarily – like I. I, I wouldn't even call those a failure. Um, I think for me, even leadership-wise in the last few years, just like what we talked about, another failure of mine would be not caring for the staff well and really had to learn that um, in a hard way. And so like that's, that's, that's probably been my own biggest personal failure is just not caring for my team and realizing how critical it is. Another failure, I would say, is not keeping the vision of the church in front of everybody constantly. I hope to never learn that lesson again. Uh, it's easy for other people to have different visions of what the church should be. And if you're not leading with it constantly and just saying, this is uniquely who God's called us to be, it's easy to kind of go all over the place. And so um, in the past, we looked for character, competence, and chemistry in a higher and then once they got hired, we begin to share who we are as a church and that bit us. And so now it's like, we look for those three things, but as a huge part of the interview process, any hire we make at Embrace, we, I sit down with them personally and to walk through the vision to make sure, hey, this is who we are unapologetically. Is this something that can like you just love? And really saying like, just so you know, this isn't every church's vision. Um, I don't even think it's the best vision. I just think it's what God has placed for us and really trying to almost trying to ask the thorny questions around it just to really see, like kind of to press into areas like, Hey, does that, does that ruffle you at all? Like, does this kind of, and, um, and so that's been a, that's been a big thing too. Just learning that like um, failing of not keeping the, the vision first and foremost, like upfront. So when you share that vision with a potential new hire, what is it that they have to feel deeply in their bones or resonate with? Like, what is it, what would that vision be that you would share? Yeah. So I just talk about um, just embraces um, heartbeat is to reach the next person for Jesus. 
Uh, we love Jesus and we'll do anything and everything to reach the next person for him. Um, anything and everything. Like, um, and so I, I push into that a little bit, like, you know, truly anything and everything. Like we'll cut stuff if it's not really seeing that happen. We'll cut stuff, even if it's a sacred cow. Um, and just kind of walk through, like, we hope to encounter the living God. We want to receive people with compassion. Um, the third part is embrace. When we're embraced by God, he changes us. And so we're welcomed right where we are, but we don't want to stay there. Um, and then that last part is run. Um, Henry Nowen says we become the father to, um, when we spend time with the father, we become the father to those around us. And so just kind of talking about that and, you know, even within um, worship, uh, in all things, we consider the first time guest, um, you know, just kind of walking through does that. So if we use a big word on a stage, we don't just use a big word, we explain it. Um, there's so many words in church world that we use and people are like, I have no idea what that means. Um, so does that, does that bother you at all that we, we have that? Does that, um, does that, yeah, does that bother you in any way? And so, um, it's uh, just that kind of stuff is um, what we kind of walk through. So, and I think the person just needs to, they don't need to have a magic answer. It's just like, are you fully okay with this? Um, you know, and just, you can see it, you can see it in them. Um, even another thing, um, if you're, if uh, we major in the minors theology wise, uh, we major in the majors and theology wise, basically like not everything is a deal breaker. Even on staff, uh, one of the guys who helps lead our teaching process is a Calvinist. I always um, harass him relentlessly about the whole uh, limited atonement thing. That like I got some issues with that, so I harass him constantly. I'm in as uh, Armenian as they get, and but for us, like we won't fall on a sword on something like that. Um, and so, if if you're a person who's like every little thing matters to you theology wise and like, gosh, like non-controversial issues I'm talking like if every, you won't like it here. And so, you know, like if that's like something um, that's totally cool, but we're, we major in the majors and the non-essentials we're cool having disagreements about. So it's, it's, it's just that kind of stuff that we try to feel out a little bit. And then, so so important hiring the right people at the right times in the right position oh yeah yeah can you share one to three times where you made a decision that was kind of a game changer you didn't even realize it at the time but because you decided to do that thing in that way it just totally shifted yeah um i, I mentioned the one service times um that was by far the biggest game shift for us as a church in um, that kind of leads into my, really my main thing is l- truly trusting your Holy in- Holy Spirit inspired gut, really listening to that instinct on big things and small things. If you're just like, gosh, this feels like it's like it needs to have be tweaked, even something simple like, Hey, we're going to have this meeting and I don't think anybody can come unless we have childcare. You need to have childcare. That's it. Like if, if you're reaching young families, I'll just say it for you. If you want anybody to come, you better have childcare. 
Um, and don't talk to people who now have junior high kids because they totally have lost their mind and they have totally forgotten about having little children. And so even just filtering that like, oh, but I have two kids. How old are they? Oh, they're in eighth grade. You've totally forgotten what it's like to have little kids. And so like just those little things, um, just really listening to them. This might be weird to say even on here. I don't know if I can share this, but um, it was a hard decision back when to not include United Methodist in our church name. And that was a sword I hate conflict. That was a sword I had to fall on. Um, I grew up Lutheran. All my extended family is Catholic. I'm originally from the area. When my family left the Lutheran church, not for any bad reasons, and went to a Methodist church, I mean, my dad had to call his dad. Just He didn't ask for his blessing, but he had to kind of call and say, hey, dad, like we're looking at going this other church. And I know his dad was not pleased with him at the time. I mean, it's, it's a huge deal. And so for us, like to really, you know, open hearts, open minds, open doors, like for me, it was living really in that value of like, I want to remove every barrier to someone coming in. Well, how can you say that? How, like, whatever. If they like, yeah, it's like just trying to like lower that, you know, I think back then if my parents would have went to a church that didn't have the denomination, he probably wouldn't even have made that phone call because it's like, I don't even know what it is. And so I'm just going to go to this church because we were invited and our friends that we trust told us to come. And so that was a really big decision. Um, and it was really hard and it was an unpopular decision with the conference at the time, but I'm so glad we made it. Um, and that was, again, just that gut instinct of like, gosh, I just feel like from firsthand experience, I know how big of a deal it is to leave, I'm putting that in quotes, leave the Catholic church leave the Lutheran church, which is predominantly who is in this area. Even if they haven't been to church or mass in two decades, they still feel that. And so that was another kind of big decision point. But I think this um, listen to your Holy Spirit inspired gut and also just we're okay cutting things um, and getting rid of sacred cows. The only um, thing you can put a name on in our building um, if you give a lot of money, um, we'll let you put your name on a urinal and, uh, no one, no one has taken us up on like in memory of an ex-husband or something like that. Like we haven't had any of any of those take place, but, um, I think just because then it, then it makes it feel like you can't get rid of stuff. You can't make changes and, and we want to be able to make changes. We don't base decisions off the biggest giver in our church. Actually, that's the last person we consider because they must be really bought in. And we're, we consider the first time guest. Um, we don't consider the family that's been for three generations. It's like, whoa, I'll maybe talk with them later because they're really bought in, they're family. When you have guests over for supper, the last person you go to is, hey, spouse, um, do you feel good about the meal? Well, yeah, honey, but we have guests over. Let's ask them. And yet I think so often in church world, we have all these guests and we're like, we turn to our spouse, who's the host. Are, are you okay? I don't want to make, I want to make sure I don't upset you. No, like are our guests all right? Like, are they feeling welcomed? And so I think that's another big thing. Like um, in all things we consider the first time guest. Um, so. Has it been hard to keep that DNA being that you've been around, you know, for a decade or more now? Yeah. Really let everybody know that, yeah, you may have been here on day one, but it's still about that brand new person that God has brought to our world. 
It is. And, um, and this is, this is actually, so we're like, as of this week, we're now 13 years old, which is crazy. And, um, I even felt this way on year four, people don't like to change. So even if you've done it for four years, not 40 years or 400 years, four years, change is hard. And so that's why continually sharing stories of the why. And um, I, we, just, so we just did a three-week series. So we just wrapped it up this last week called The Heart of Embrace. And we walked through our vision. And the whole thing was stories. So in each service, we had three different people from the church share their story um, about how God had changed them through the church, about you know, what reached them. One, one of the gals that I interviewed um, she said her first Sunday, she'll never forget. She could have coffee in church and just how it was something so simple like that, that made her feel welcomed. And so continually sharing stories. And I just kind of call out the elephant in the room, reaching the next person for Jesus sounds really kind of like so, so and lame. Like, it's like, Oh, like what, what about us? Like, what about it's, it doesn't sound like that important until that next person is you or someone that you love. And then it becomes the most important thing. When that next person is your mom, who is such a bitter lady, and you only wish she could find the peace found in Christ, it's the most important thing. When that next person is your wife that you've been praying for for years would come to church with you, and you can just see she's just so unsatisfied with her work and all that kind of thing, she's, it's the most important thing. When it's your son who's making every poor decision at college, and you're just like, man, I just, all of a sudden it becomes, the most important thing. And um, I, I just even, I just even look at, um, we had a guy connected to the church, a young dad, and he's got two girls. He just took his life this last Friday. And the only thing that shocks me about suicide is that it doesn't happen five times more. And so um, for me, the why is like, it's so clear um, because people are spiritually drowning and they're asking someone to help. You know, and it's like spiritually drowning. That sounds a little intense. Well, does it when people are hanging themselves in their garage? That seems a little intense to say that we're going to make these bold decisions. Does it really? Have, have you seen someone addicted to pain meds lately? Like, like that seems really, really intense. Like we do anything that we wouldn't care. Like we make all these changes. Does it really? Have you sat with a couple who... Is, is ending their, their marriage. And now there's two kids that are going to walk through this too. And so I, I, that harshness of, of even hearing that, even saying that people are hanging themselves. Like, man, we get to share Jesus. And that doesn't change every circumstance. It's not the magic pill. Um, there's so many other things that mental health is, we talked about that a few months ago and, just kind of took the sugar coating off it and just talked about it and shared honestly from stage and whatever. But it's just like we, the, the call for us is so great. And so, yeah, even sharing that, it feels weird to say, but I think keeping that why, I think when we get sheltered as a church and everything appears to be pretty rosy, um, then it's easy to become inward focused. But when you have the why right before you, um, it changes everything. Mm, that's awesome. That's so helpful. And, and empowering that you haven't lost that why, you know, 13 years in, because it can be exhausting or you can yeah. come to the end of yourself in terms of leadership, but that hasn't been your experience. 
Yeah, there's there's honestly been times when I've wondered, like, God, am I supposed to be doing this? Um, just because it is hard. Ministry is hard. I don't care if you have a church of 20 or 2,000. It's it's hard. And yet I think for me, the why is so strong in my bones, not even just the day I came to Christ 20 years ago, but myself without Jesus yesterday. You know, it's not like, oh, I needed Jesus so badly 20 years ago. No, I need Jesus right now because the moment I'm not connected to him, it's like the same thing if you pulled an outlet out of a, out of a wall, the lamp stops working. That for me is the fruit of the spirit in my life. Like it's the moment I'm not connected to Christ. I don't have peace. I don't have joy. I don't have self-control. And um, so for me, it's like, I can't imagine trying to walk through any given week without, without God inside of me without knowing that I can cry out in my darkest moments and that God hears my voice and he carries me when I can't walk, you know? And so that for me, I think is just so close to the surface in me. That's awesome. Um, What are three resources that you would recommend to people just starting out and planting like books or conferences, podcasts, anything? What helped you learn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gosh, a couple different things. Um, I, I, so I, I, you know, when we first started, I was just getting on Facebook and a podcast hadn't really hit at all. And in many ways I felt alone in what I was doing. Church planting wasn't something the Dakotas was, had done or was doing very much of. And so I felt alone a lot of times. It might sound crazy. Um, I know sometimes it gets a bad rap, the outreach 100, um, by outreach magazine. I can remember going through that each year. And finding three or four churches that were similar to me or similar to what I thought Embrace was like. And I just began to study them and learn from them. It was pastors I had never met before, but I just began to look for what they were doing for events, series, this kind of thing. And I just, again, they didn't know that we were friends, but I was friends with them. (laughs) And I was just learning from them of what they were doing and how they were doing it. And, um, and then um, even just um, business owners, I would sit down and just ask leadership questions because I could, I could see my shortcomings and gaps. And so I learned that. Other pastors, um, I think a few different resources for me specifically that have been beneficial, um, even in the recent years, is the, like the Carrie Newhoff podcast. And Carrie is an awesome man. Um, so the Carrie Newhoff podcast, um, Catalyst Conference has been something that's been a blessing. I think anytime you can get away and really just get poured into whatever that looks like, whether that's the leadership Institute or a catalyst conference, let's get away. That's been really, really beneficial for me too. Um, and then I think just other pastors about things off, off of uh, other Methodist pastors, but non-denominational pastors and just like just learning from them. And then I think uh, the last resource is just having a, um, a brother and sister in Christ uh, or more importantly, maybe a group of them that can be praying for you, that can encourage you. Um, Particularly if you're wired like this Yahoo is and you're don't always care for your soul very well, they can kind of call things out inside of you. So that'd be resources that I would say. Um, When you think back to your early days of planting and things that people said, 
well, this is what planting is like, or you have to expect this. Have you found like a myth of church planting, something that isn't true that you hear all the time? Oh, I, I feel like right now church planting, again, we didn't have Facebook, so you couldn't really see what other pastor friends were doing necessarily. Um, I think, I think it's kind of glamorized a little bit. And so it's like, Oh, awesome. So much freedom. Whoa. Like how great all this kind of thing. You don't have people to complain to you. And I know you don't have people to complain to you, but a lot of times you don't have people. It's like, (laughs) it's like, I'm thankful. I don't have any complainers, but I need a breathing human being. Like I don't even care who they are. Like, and so I think it's glamorized a lot and it can be a really lonely road. And, um, in this era of at this time of feeling like everybody's exploding and everybody's having these great experiences, it's easy to focus on those few that are, it can be really, really discouraging of like, well, my church didn't double in size in one morning. And, um, I think even for that part of our story, I had a pastor, um, a Methodist pastor a couple of years ago, attend church with us. And he, he came up to me and he, he was fairly jaded. I, I don't know anything about his story, but I know he was a Methodist pastor. I don't even think he was from our conference, but he said, all this is great. Um, but you don't know what it's like to struggle. And because all he had seen was the pretty side of Embrace's story. And I said, kindly back, I said, actually I do. And he said, really? Like, and again, kind of jaded, like, really? Like, really? You know what it's like to struggle? And I said, yeah, for three years, um, we were almost closed. I was 24 years old, didn't know up from down, felt totally inadequate, didn't even want to start a church. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, oh, he said, I was an associate pastor when I was 24 years old. I got to learn under this amazing leader. And I was like, yeah, I didn't have that. And so I think even just like we put on rose colored glasses for other people. And I think sometimes we do that with church planting and it can be really hard. I would encourage anybody don't plant a church unless you truly feel like it's the hand of God. Like for me, I didn't even feel the call to plant a church. I just felt like I was kind of cornered to plant a church. And so for me, that was kind of God being like, yeah, I know you're not going to ever choose this. So I'm just going <laughs> to, here we go. And so really, really wrestle with that. But if you do have that, don't feel crazy at the same time, because it can feel weird. Like, I think I'm supposed to plan a church. Oh, well, you're, who are you, Mr. or Mrs. Spiritual Godly person? Like, don't listen to the naysayers either. If you feel like you're supposed to do it and be faithful to the call God has on you. So when it comes, you know, we had a bunch of veteran church planters together and asked them what self-care looked like when you first started planting, which for most of us is kind of non-existent, right? Yeah, Um, non-existent. And what it looks like now. Like, can you share a little bit about self-care early on? Yes. Self-care early on was pretty non-existent. Um, Away from my wife, um, Becky is um, my best friend, and she's never nags. She just tells me when enough is enough. And so she'd call sometimes and say, it's time to come home. And it wasn't like, I'm going to drive you nuts until you come home. She would say it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pack up right now. I mean, she just was, she would just help me know my limitations. Cause I didn't have that. Again, I felt extreme pre- pre- uh, pressure to glow, grow and embrace. 
And so she really had to reel me in. So I didn't, I had to go through, I'd probably say a season or two of horrible burnout, you know, just depression. Looking back, it was depression. Um, I mean, I would start crying and I didn't know why I was crying. Didn't feel like I had a soul anymore, you know, and that's, I actually didn't feel my first season of burnout until about two or three years into our season of like rapid growth, which seems like your honeymoon, right? Like, oh my gosh, it's finally working. And at first it was a lot of fun, but then I, it drowned me. So I was struggling for at first because we weren't growing. And then I was struggling because we were growing so fast and I felt like I couldn't keep up. And a lot of the people who were with us originally began to kind of complain like, Hey, you don't return our calls anymore. Hey. And it was like, I'm barely surviving. And so self-care was not good early on. Self-care now for me, uh, I see a counselor once a month. Um, I leave my phones a lot on weekends and just up in my bedroom and check it kind of here and there. Um, self-care for me. Uh, I posted something the other day. This is like three months ago. I didn't intentionally show how many e text messages and the emails were. I did a screenshot of a funny text exchange between my wife and I, and I didn't realize I had how many emails and whatever. And the response from everybody is like, holy cow, look at all your emails that are unread. You have to be so stressed. Like, how do you do this? Oh my gosh. Like, and what I wanted to say was um, a few years ago, they used to actually both say zero. And when they say zero, that for me is a sign of, this is just for me. That's a sign of complete unhealthiness. The fact that I have 4,000 unread emails in my inbox and 200 and some text messages unread, that's a sign of health for me. Um, early on, um, my wife used to tell me, you're not Jesus, so stop trying to replace him. And we can be Christ-like, but we are not Jesus. You know? And um, so being okay with my Facebook inbox, having hundreds of messages, and we're trying to develop a system to help that better. You know, like even yesterday, I got a message of someone whose um, niece, is, the baby was born and not breathing. And so is going to pass away. That's someone who needs to care for that. But I necessarily can't myself be everything to everyone. And so for me, self-care is having a whole bunch of unread text messages. And um, which sounds crazy, but it's so just learning that kind of thing of um, someone calls me um, and I might not get back to them, you know, and um, wanting to get back to them, but I'm okay if I don't. Um, every day I, I, I pray, um, particularly on a week where there's something really hard, like a suicide or a marriage falling apart on my way home. If I'm, I can tell I'm stressed, I'll pray, God, help me to do anything I can for this family or for this person and truly mean that it's not this apathetic, help me to do everything I can and then help me to leave all the rest to you. Cause I can't make this wife love her husband again. I can't make this husband get help and be a good father again. I, I can't make them. Jesus can. The Holy Spirit can. I can't. I can do a couple of things, though. You know, I can set them up with a counselor. I can meet with them and pray for them. Um, but realizing that we can't, we don't change hearts. That's something God does. We do all the prep work, even in our preaching. The burden isn't on us. 
We do our homework. We make sure we're faithful. If we're lazy in our prep, pre- sermon prep, God, would you convict us? Would we, would, if we're lazy in our sermon prep, Lord, maybe we need to switch careers because this good news that you've called us to preach is so important. And so for someone listens that know they're just going through the motions right now, maybe you do need to take some drastic steps. But when we're faithful in the prep, all the pressure's on God. You know, just all the pressure. And that for me is so relieving when we've done all the prep for an event and it falls flat on its face. It's like, God, we did everything we could. I almost love that feeling more than an event that goes off extremely well and you know you half weighed it. That, that drives me insane. <laughs> but when you've done everything you can and, and whatever, um, there's peace in that. That's awesome. So during those seasons of burnout, what helped you heal and recover? Uh, I think for me, um, having close friends, particularly people around you that can kind of call it out. Um, During my first season of burnout, our our executive pastor who's still with us today, um, he's a campus pastor now, his name's Travis Waltner. Um, He basically came to me and said, you're not preaching the next four weeks. And he didn't have the authority, I'm putting that in quotes, to do that. But he, he said, I don't think you should preach this week or the next three. And I said, that's great, but we're in November, which is a big time of the year, church-wise for us. Uh, so that's not possible. And he said, Adam, I'm strongly suggesting you don't preach. And I care and respect him and love him so much. And I know he feels the same way about me that I listened and so I think having people that can really speak into you is critical because before you explode in a bad way, like just like as a person, before you make a really bad decision out of being unhealthy and tired to have someone that can call that before you do that um, is really, really wonderful. So I think that, um, I think uh, it sounds crazy. At that time, we were five years in. If you called Embrace Church, this is speaking of the church planners, we'll get this. If you called Embrace Church five years in, we were probably 350, 400 people at the time. My cell phone rang. <laughs> yep. That is the most jacked up, messed up. I know exactly where I was <clears throat> when a staff person called me the one day and said, Hey, Adam, we got a new phone number for embrace. I started crying, hmm. you know? And after that, I, uh, I switched my phone number probably four times in a year, which seems extreme, but I kept giving it out to people. And then it kept ringing 24 seven and important phone calls weren't getting returned. And so I just, I just from my own soul. And again, I, and that's that for me, my drug of choice is work. So I'm thankful that I have a legal drug of choice, not an illegal one. Um, so that's my drug of choice. So I needed to kind of take extreme measures. You know, I've even thought about again, like just recently changing it again. <laughs> I'm like, cause I haven't changed it for probably four years, but I'm like, it feels like it's about time because it kind of rings It's over here somewhere. It rings 24 seven, but now I'm, I'm at a better place of not feeling like I have to answer it. So I try to answer it when my mom calls because she lets me know if I don't answer her phone calls. Uh, but so <laughs> talk to mom. That's talk to mom. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Weber, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
So looking back, I mean, Embrace obviously is reaching a lot of people, still growing. If there's something that you could go back and do over, what would that be? Oof. Good question. Um, you know, I think even early on, I wish we would have started morning services sooner, but I'm actually now thankful for that part of our story. It made us who we are. I think the two things I wish I would have done sooner, we've already mentioned them, lead more with vision and just never, ever stop speaking about who you are and really being okay with not being all things to all people, but really being okay with that. And then just leadership wise, um, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been better at caring for the team um, sooner um, and also caring for myself and trying to figure out that balance early on. It is going to be a, a, it is going to be a 50 yard dash. I mean, to get it off the ground, it's just like to get off a business off the ground. If you see it as a 40 hour a week type position, it is not for you. If you're a person that's like, yep, when four o'clock hits, I need to step away from my phone and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to never even pray about starting a church. Don't even pray about it. Like not, not for you. Um, so it is that craziness. Um, but to have some boundaries and guidelines and, um, it, and like, I, I honestly, something I feel like was, is maybe a, a strong suit is just discipline. Um, that's something I think I have very few gifts, but I would say that's one. Um, I, I see a lot of times, you know, it's like we're working these insane hours, but are we using them very quality? And so it's like, I'm working on my sermon on Saturday cause I've had so much work. Um, can I ask what time you got to the office? And when you got to the office, do you buckle down? Cause maybe you don't need to work on Saturday. Maybe you can have that message done on Thursday. Um, and like, so I think some of those things are crucial using every hour. If you're away from your family during that season of getting to church, that better be the best utilized hours possible. Instead of just like, yeah, I kind of went to a coffee shop and the first 15 minutes I was just kind of hanging out, surfing Facebook and then whatever. I think a lot of times we do that though, to fill our time rather than like, man, I'm going to be gone. Um, you know, I talked to my wife, Hey Beck, would you care if I went to this from six 30 to seven 45? I think it's a really crucial thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then sticking to that time and as best as I can, like, yep. And so I think that, that as well. So I'm talking too much. No, it's great. I love it. It's, they're good pointers too. Cause you're right. You have to be strategic with your time because it is all consuming. It, yes. That way, but, but I think you're right. There, there was someone that I was talking to a few weeks ago who's like, I want to plant, but I have a few hangups because I don't really want to work Saturdays and I don't want to work evenings. And I'm like, and so you're not called to plant. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. I don't know what to tell you. There's no way to give birth to a church if with those parameters. I just, it's just, no. <laughs> it's a lot of time and heartache. Just run. Yeah. 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 Save yourself. Save yourself. You had to do something with nine to five hours. Um, yes. Uh, now, how do you use social media for your plan? Has it been a helpful tool? For us, it was extremely helpful. Um, um, again, I, I truly believe we were probably the first church in our area on Twitter. Um, we utilize Facebook extremely well. 
um, just for invites for all this kind of thing. Um, so it was extremely crucial. We were, we were looking at um, the example I always give is Palm Sunday. Um, I was a pastor for three, four years. I went to um, a get together of local Methodist pastors um, after Easter. And one of them said, so how'd your donkey, how was your donkey? And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, how, how was your guys' donkey for, for Palm Sunday? And then one guy's like, oh, we had a march around the block. And, oh, we had him like walk down the front of the, the aisle of church or all this kind of thing. I love strange, awkward animals. I'm like, how have I never heard that a church has had a donkey on Palm Sunday? So I emailed myself and put it in my schedule like before, like a month before the next Palm Sunday, get a donkey. That's all <laughs> it said in there. But, but, but going into it, I'm like, why did I never know? What kid wouldn't want to pet a donkey? Even what Yahoo pastor, me, wouldn't want to pet a donkey? And so that's that. We'll, the last second, we got a photographer. We made a funny video. We went out to the farm, made a funny video and posted, hey, this Sunday, we got a donkey. Celebrate Palm Sunday. Come get your picture with Buddy. That was his name. <laughs> and so, I mean, all the families were wanting to come to it because in Lutheran churches, I kind of my background, we didn't have donkeys on Palm Sunday. And so all these kids came and then the morning of, we had a professional photographer take family photos, upload them to Facebook and had people tag. And the most likes on a picture won a gift card, like a $30 gift card to Starbucks. Well, at that time, all that was new, it just exploded. And to have all those fun pictures the week before Easter, I mean, it was priceless. So now all these people, you know, coming Easter, where should we go to church? I thought there was this, our friends go to this random embrace and they have this donkey. And um, I mean, it was just huge for us. So we're still trying to figure out how to maximize it now because now everybody gets Facebook in, invites, everybody. So trying to constantly set ourselves apart there, um, you know, sharing stories um, for, for, um, this Sunday is a big Sunday. It's the week after Labor Day. And so a lot of people are looking at coming back to church, this kind of stuff. So this week we are challenging. We challenge our staff, um, to invite in the campus with the most invites uh, to the Facebook event all gets, uh, like $10 gift cards, um, as a way to win. So just an incentive to invite people. We shared the heart behind it. Like just as far as like shared a few stories that are all staff on Tuesday. So everyone's fired up about it. We just got an update yesterday of which campus is currently winning. And um, so it's just those types of small things. We don't do that every week, but three times a year, we'll do that mass um, type of invite. Um, but really um, another thing we're doing is we're recording our four or five minute long or just our own personal testimony, whether it mentions embrace or not. So we, we don't want it to feel like a commercial. We want it to be people's stories. So our staff's going to be uploading them in the next week or so. And that's, that again is just like, how has God changed you? We just heard one of our, our communications person, she just shared her story. I didn't know anything of her story. I didn't know her dad was an alcoholic. I didn't know that they didn't grow up in the church. And she shared about just like the most beautiful story ever. I'm like, oh my gosh. And for her, embrace was a huge part of her, her story. Um, and so she shared that. When that goes on Facebook, oh my gosh, anybody who knows her, she's just a very respected, wonderful person will want to listen. I mean, it's going to be awesome. Wow. So 
That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so have you or are you currently using lay planters? Are you training lady that go out and lead campuses? If so, how do you train them? Um, we're, we're so, we're still trying to figure this out. A couple of things we currently have, we just started a residency at Embrace in partnership with a conference here. Um, so this first year is really kind of the guinea pig period. So we have currently three residents um, that, are, that are going through that. They're going to work closely with the campus pastors, really have the chance to experience all the different areas of the church. So we have that part, thing, part of things taking place. Another thing right now, um, we have two goals for the next six months as a staff. The first one is to tell stories. Again, just a heavy um, uh, focus on stories. So in sermons, on Sundays, on social, in huddles, like, uh, like volunteer huddles, we're trying to tell stories like crazy. Um, I think that's something we did years ago and we kind of got away from. And so now you, like we are telling stories unapologetically. The other one is find your eight. And so each staff person has to find eight people and really develop almost a leadership team for each staff position and really equipping those eight people who are all non-staff people to do the work and ministry of the church and really to equip them. So that's our second focus is just raising people up. And like uh, the, our campus pastor that's been doing it the longest, four out of his eight people on his original eight are now on staff. And none of them were like, I'm thinking about going to be a pastor. None of them were. And I mean, our, our communications person that I just talked about was the communications person for our zoo in Sioux Falls. And now she's working here. One of the highest caliber. I can't believe she works here. I'm like, this is amazing. Never change jobs again. But it's because they, she got, I mean, she got, was involved heavily in campus leadership and loved it and found purpose. And so um, I, it's been really cool to see that. So. Okay. You've been so awesome and great. No, no. I have um, one more question for you. Sure. When it comes to your ministry, um, or even to your life in general, what is your biggest fear? Oof. I have two of them. Um, one of my fears is the people who are closest to me uh, won't have the greatest respect for me. Like I, and I feel like I, I have a, um, yeah, I don't even know why I'm saying that. I just want it to end of my life. You know, I'm so grateful for people who will have read my books or listened on iTunes or whatever. I'm so thankful for the impact on them. But I hope at my funeral, no one talks about Pastor Adam. I hope they all talk about Adam. And um, they talk about dad and husband and friend. I hope, they, I hope the pastor isn't mentioned. Um, I hope it's really that. And I hope those people are able to say the most wonderful things about me that would be success for me. Um, and then the second fear is almost kind of the Schindler's list um, type Schindler at the end. I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have done more. And I don't, I don't say that out of fear of like, I have to perform. I just, I truly believe we've been given the greatest news. And I, I see that I, I, the apostle Paul got that. John Wesley got that. Uh, I mean, both Wesley and Paul, um, you should stop telling people about Jesus. I mean, 
Paul, you're going to get killed. Like you've been beat. And yet, I mean, he just relentlessly is sharing the gospel. Relentlessly. Wesley is crossing the oceans on boats that don't float very well. Like, I mean, just like, um, I just, I just think about just that. I, I want to have that. Um, I just want people to know the hope found in Christ, not just ter- for eternal salvation, but for eternity right now. Um, so many people are hurting when I see whether it's a mass shooting or I see someone take their life or whatever, it, particularly if they're local, I don't think, gosh, I wish someone could have reached them. I think how could embrace have reached them? How could one of us let that gunman know that there's freedom found in Christ and he doesn't need to have bitterness anymore. You know, like that, uh, the alcoholic who's thinking about taking their life, like there's hope tomorrow. The sun will come up tomorrow. I'm willing to walk alongside you through rehab. I'm still here. You made a bad decision. You got a DUI. I still love you. I still care about you. I'm still showing up to court with you, even though what you did was so wrong. Um, And so I think that's just something in my bones as well as just really like, what more could I have done? Um, Because God has loved me so well. Thank you for your time. Oh, Rachel, thank you so much. And please never hesitate to reach out and ask if I can do anything. And um, just thanks for being a light. All right, guys, I hope you learned as much as I did listening to Adam and his story. I I really love how Adam shared early on. He didn't feel like a planter. This was not something he ever envisioned for his life. I resonate with that because I, too, was appointed to plant a church without a real awareness or understanding of what that would really mean, without a deep sense of calling prior to being sent to Virginia Beach. And um And so for Adam, that was a really powerful way to say, okay, God, then this is all on you. You're the reason I'm here. This is where the call originated from. And and that can be a powerful reminder for us to like lean into why we were called, why we're here, and to really rely on God to guide us through every step of it. Um, I think Adam, more than perhaps any planter I've talked to to date, any other field preacher on the podcast, Adam knows his why. He knows why he's a planter. He knows why Embrace exists. He knows the vision of this church. He's able to articulate that. He incorporates it into every single aspect of Embrace, from how they design worship on Sundays, to how they hire new staff, to how he talks about his own ability to preach and to connect with people, right? He shares over and over and over that that when he heard about Jesus, it was the greatest news he ever heard. And all he wanted to do was tell everybody. And I think that's important for us that when we go out and we're trying to help people reconnect to God and to a faith community, that we we know we have this amazing good news that we got to share with the whole world. And you can just sense that passion. Even like, you know, over a decade into his plant, Adam hasn't lost that fire for really communicating the good news to those who need it most. To those, I think at one point he um, describes them as people who are spiritually drowning and asking for help, that we live in this broken world where people are in pain and and we have some news that can help that. So um, I hope you were inspired by his story and also the reminder that church planting can be really lonely. You know, I love that one of the many resources he recommended was the Catalyst Conference. And so 
because we know church planting can be lonely and because we know that Catalyst is one of the most popular conferences for clergy under 40, uh, Path One is going to be out there this October in Atlanta for Catalyst. So if you are coming United Methodist or not, if you'll be at that conference and you want times to huddle in smaller groups in between the main plenary sessions, check out our website to hear more information and to sign up to really join in and go deeper with other people on a similar journey as you're on because it is lonely. It is difficult. It is hard. It can be overwhelming. Um, I, I laughed when Adam shared about what it was like to finally get a church phone and it not be his personal cell phone anymore because we've all been there, right? And it, and it can be so draining and so exhausting. But if you stay the course, then really incredible things can happen. So um, uh, final tip, uh, takeaway that I took from Adam's talk was the importance of social media, right? And how having a donkey on Palm Sunday is something that made it easier to invite people to church. So think about how as we get ready for Lent and Easter and everything is coming, um, how will you invite people to be a part of Easter Sunday worship at your church plant? So I hope you guys really enjoyed hearing from Adam. He's a remarkable guy doing really incredible things. And if there's someone else I need to be interviewing on this Field Preachers podcast, Shoot me their names at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. Thanks so much, guys. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.